You have extracted a black city out of a county and said the only ones that are at fault at an issue is the city of Detroit, where 80% of the people who reside here are African-Americans. Shame on you. Yes. Lots of shame. I guess no one should be surprised at this point, though, right? Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Rochester, New York on WRFZ, New Orleans, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Out in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today with just 63 days to go until Inauguration Day. Can you make it? Will you get there? (laughs) Will I get there? 48 days until Election Day in Georgia's two U.S. Senate runoffs to determine control of the U.S. Senate. We're going to be talking plenty about Georgia today, you know, for a change. (laughs) 26 days until the Electoral College casts its votes to finalize Election 2020. And 19 days until the statutory safe harbor deadline for resolving any election disputes for the Electoral College. That would be on December 8. Keep that date in mind, by the way, as we move forward with all of this and as we try to uh, keep up with all of the madness now going on all over the country as the Trump campaign uh, with no actual, you know, uh, in- intelligible strategy <laughs> is basically just trying to throw everything that they can possibly think of at the wall. Yeah, and you know what? Kick up a lot of dust and dirt and mayhem Yes. in order to basically grind the process to a halt if they can. Uh, I'll give you a few examples uh, from as many uh, states as we can get through today before going to my guest. Uh, I want to start here. Back in December of 2016, after Donald Trump was said to have won the state of Wisconsin for the first time in decades. Well, Hillary Clinton decided against asking for a recount in that state. 
at that time, along with uh, declining to ask for a recount in Michigan and Pennsylvania, which the Democrats also lost for their party for the first time in decades, reportedly, by very thin margins in each of those three states. A total of two votes per precinct in all three states registered for Hillary Clinton instead of Donald Trump at the time would have meant that she, not he, would have become the president. And yet, for good reasons or bad, Hillary conceded the day after Election Day to Donald Trump, and he declined and she declined to seek a recount in any of those three states, despite voting systems and cybersecurity experts pleading with her to do so. It fell to the Green Party candidate back then in 2016, the Green Party candidate for president that year, Jill Stein. She stepped up to do so, to ask for recounts in all three states, and she appeared on this program, by the way, to announce it as her first media stop that day. Oh, yeah. In all three states, however, Republicans largely blocked a real hand count of the ballots. And at the time, Donald Trump's son, Eric Trump, tweeted out uh, falsely citing Hillary Clinton as part of that recount request to say, quote, the sad truth, the cost of Stein Clinton's Wisconsin vote recount could have saved at least 5,000 children's lives. He he was so sad about that. <laughs> like he really cared. Yeah, right. yeah there is a uh, Trump family tweet for everything, isn't there? <laughs> uh, because guess what happened on uh, Wednesday in Wisconsin? The Trump campaign filed a petition for a partial recount in Wisconsin, where Donald Trump trails President-elect Joe Biden, the apparent winner of the state, by more than 20,000 votes, just about the same amount of votes that Hillary Clinton had trailed Donald Trump by in 2016, when it was so sad that the Green Party had spent money for a recount there, which could have saved 5,000 children's lives, according to Eric Trump. I guess he's not mentioning that today. But uh, the campaign wired $3 million to the Wisconsin Election Commission for a long-shot bid to try and overturn the state results, asking for recounts in Milwaukee and Dane counties only. Those are, of course, mostly Democratic areas in which Biden defeated Trump by big margins. The campaign said in a release uh, that these two counties were selected because they are the locations of the worst irregularities, illegally altered absentee ballots, illegally issued absentee ballots, and illegal advice given by the government officials allowing Wisconsin's voter ID laws to be circumvented. The state's top elections chief, however, and local officials have said there were no reports of widespread problems or wrongdoing in either of those two counties. And the Biden campaign largely shrugged off the development today. The uh, Trump campaign, which had been soliciting donations for recount, had until the close of business on Wednesday to ask for that recount that it must be completed, however, ahead of the state's December 1 certification deadline and the solicitations to raise funds for recounts and election court challenges have included a disclaimer way down at the bottom noting that 60% of the money they raise will actually go to pay down debts from the general election and that the funds 
will go to a, quote, recount account only after those debts have been paid. So any of you suckers giving money to Trump right now, you're paying off his debts. You ain't paying for this recount. A full statewide recount would have cost $7.9 million. But there is, of course, an added irony here. You may recall back in 2000 when Al Gore filed for recounts in several counties in the state of Florida when he was running against George W. Bush that year. Remember that? Oh, God, yes. In that case, they were counties that he asked for recounts. They were counties that he'd actually won. And uh, he thought that votes might have been missed uh, in a race where just a few hundred votes total separated him from George W. Bush in the state, which, depending on who ended up winning it at the time, would determine the presidency. Back then, the Republican Party went to the state Supreme Court and then the U.S. Supreme Court basically arguing, specifically arguing, that Al Gore had cherry-picked by seeking a partial recount of just a few counties in the state and that if he wanted a recount, he had to ask for the entire state to be recounted, including the counties that voted for George W. Bush. Otherwise, it would be an equal protection problem under the Constitution. Well, the state Supreme Court in Florida agreed at the time, and then eventually that count of the entire state was blocked by the U.S. Supreme Court as well. So George W. Bush ended up being declared the winner of Florida and the U.S. presidency, despite the fact that studies of the state's ballots afterwards found that, yeah, Al Gore almost certainly was the actual winner of the state of Florida and therefore should have been our next president. Wind the clock now 20 years forward. As Team Trump has been failing in court case after court case, so far they have failed in some 25 out of 26 cases. And they have been citing that 2000 Bush v. Gore ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court whenever it's convenient for them, even though part of that challenge included Republicans bashing Democrats for cherry-picking just a few counties to recount in the state of Florida, for not counting the entire state in their requested recount. So what did Trump do today? Well, yeah, he cherry-picked, asking for a partial recount of just a few counties in the state of Wisconsin, exactly what Republicans argued Democrats could not do under the Constitution. Back in 2000. What? Republicans being hypocritical? No, not my Republicans. <laughs> Meanwhile, a spokesperson for Milwaukee County uh, said that they are very well prepared for a recount there. County officials are in communication with municipal clerks. They've reserved large spaces to ensure social distancing, and they have a schedule in place. The county is going to begin begin their count on Friday. If the official recount order is submitted from the Elections Commission on Thursday, as currently planned, Milwaukee County Clerk George Christensen told reporters that he thought Milwaukee and Dane counties were chosen by the campaign because they are, quote, Democratic strongholds and Milwaukee is a majority minority city. Not because there are more irregularities there as the Trump camp. Uh, campaign claims he called the effort, quote, just another form of voter suppression. 
And based on the Trump campaign's challenges elsewhere, it is pretty easy to say that, yeah, he's correct about that. As we reported on yesterday's broadcast in Pennsylvania, where Trump is also trying and so far failing to challenge the results there and get votes thrown out after two different state, uh, two different law firms actually withdrew from the case over the past several days uh, on uh, Donald Trump's side uh, from this uh, federal lawsuit attempting to toss out nearly 700,000 votes in the Keystone State. That where Trump is currently down by almost 82,000 votes. The only lawyer left on the case was a right wing talk radio show host who a few days after the election had actually told his listeners that Biden had won the election and that Trump's legal efforts would not result in overturning the results. Well, that attorney apparently did not speak at all during that federal court emergency hearing on Tuesday. But another attorney from Team Trump uh, who was added to the case at the very last minute did speak at that hearing. That would be Rudy Giuliani, who has not uh, reportedly been in a federal courtroom for 30 years. And reading accounts of the hearing that took place while we were on air yesterday, it showed big time that he had not been in a court for 30 years. Yes, it was uh, very funny and kind of sad, too, but I highly recommend reading anybody who was following along live blogging it. It was painful. It it was hilarious. You're right. Uh, For example, Giuliani opened his argument with the sweeping claim that Trump, that the Trump campaign was alleging, quote, widespread nationwide voter fraud. Mind you, this was a case in Pennsylvania. It was not about nationwide voter fraud. But under questioning from the judge, Giuliani was later forced to withdraw that claim and admitted that the lawsuit did not, in fact, allege fraud at all. And that, quote, this is not a fraud case. So he contradicted himself in the same hearing. At one point, he was asked by U.S. District Judge Matt Bran uh, what level of scrutiny should be applied to the case. Giuliani quickly snapped, the normal one. (laughs) There is no normal. That's not one of the options. Uh, In election law cases, uh, it's uh, if a strict scrutiny standard is applied, states have to overcome a higher bar defending their voting policies under a rational basis standard. States have more leeway in defending their actions. Uh, So Judge Brand tried to clarify if Giuliani meant strict scrutiny. Giuliani repeated again, no, the normal scrutiny. Uh, That did not go unnoticed, however, that uh, Giuliani kept focusing on Philadelphia in this case, which, of course, went in a big way to Biden. And where, like Milwaukee and Dane in Wisconsin, especially Milwaukee, the bulk of the state's African-American voters live and vote there. Giuliani, focusing on Philadelphia, said, this is an outrage, Your Honor, to do this to people. He made baseless claims about Philadelphia not being a, quote, honest place and the Democratic, quote, machine that had colluded against the president's supporters. He brought up Chicago in 1960 uh, and allegations of the time honored practice of holding back votes. 
He warned if Pennsylvania's election results were thrown out, it would lead to an epidemic of Democratic vote stealing. He said, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. They've already taken a mile. They stole an election, at least in this Commonwealth. He claimed that the U.S. Constitution had been violated because Democratic-leaning counties were given, uh, giving voters the opportunity to fix deficiencies on their mail-in ballots before the election that certain GOP-leaning jurisdictions did not. Democrats argued that they should have given their voters that same right. But Giuliani claimed that this allegation was, quote, a classic violation of equal protection. He said that is exactly what? Bush v. Gore. That on the day before they filed for a partial recount in Wisconsin under Rudy Giuliani, by the way, who is apparently leading the national effort on behalf of the Trump campaign. Meanwhile, in Michigan, in Wayne County, that's Detroit, the four-person board of canvassers deadlocked two to two over whether to certify the results in the county on Tuesday night, focusing on, you guessed it, voting in Detroit, which the two Republican canvassers said should be tossed out due to what were apparently minor clerical conflicts between the number of ballots cast in some precincts versus the number of voters signed into the poll books. That is not unusual, and the conflicting numbers apparently were very small in the state that Biden appears to have won by almost 160,000 votes. After that deadlock, there was a brutal public comment period where the two Republicans were called out for their refusal to certify because of the conflicts identified in Detroit, which were discussed over and over again while ignore, uh, ignoring some larger conflicts in other cities in Wayne County that happen to be majority white. Here's Wendell Anthony, president of Detroit's NAACP, pointing out that fact. You look at black cities, you have extracted a black city out of a county and said the only one that are at fault at an issue is the city of Detroit where 80% of the people who reside here are African-Americans. Shame on you. Shame on you for leading to this level of corruption. You have disavowed your right to even sit in the seat that you occupy. You are a disgrace as relates to the ability to have a free and impartial election in this nation. Here was a public comment for the record books uh, from a man named Ned Stabler that was directed at those two Republicans on the board, Monica Palmer and William Hartman. We also know that the secretary of state and the attorney general have already uh, tweeted out that your legal arguments are rubbish and you're going to lose in, when it comes to court. So we're not worried about that. Uh, at all. I'm also not worried about any of your, oh, things are, are bad so we can't certify arguments because that's just ridiculous. You certified in August when they were worse. Less than 50% of the ballots were recountable. Now over 72% are. 58% uh, of them were even balanced when it was less than 30% last time. So it's doubled. It's gotten way better because the Secretary of State actually jumped in and did her job, unlike you. But I know it's not going to change your opinion. Um, you talked about not certifying Detroit even though you acknowledge that Livonia, a city, by the way, I know you know is 95% white, had bigger variances than Detroit, which is 80% black. We understand. And you now added your name. So I, I'm not going to try to change your mind. I just want to let you know that the Trump stick, the stain of racism, 
that you, William Hartman and Monica Palmer have just covered yourself in is going to follow you throughout history. Your grandchildren are going to think of you like Bull Connor or George Wallace. Monica Palmer and William Hartman will forever be known in southeastern Michigan as two racists who did something so unprecedented that they disenfranchised hundreds of thousands of black voters in the city of Detroit because they were ordered to. Probably, I know, Monica, you think Q told you to do it or some other crazy stuff like that. But just know when you try to sleep tonight that millions of people around the world now on Twitter know the name Monica Palmer and William Hartman as two people completely racist and without an understanding of what integrity means or a shred of human decency. You, the law isn't on your side. History won't be on your side. Your conscience will not be on your side. And Lord knows, when you go to meet your maker, your soul is going to be very, very warm. Ouch. Wow. Uh, three hours later, uh, and after Trump had falsely tweeted out that Republicans blocked the certification of results in Michigan— it wasn't Michigan. It was just Wayne County. Uh, the two Republicans on the Wayne County Board of Campusers, they decided to change their votes. And yes, of course, they voted to certify after all. None of this, however, compares, I think, to the ongoing mess that is currently playing out in Georgia, where Republicans have turned on each other, turned on other Republicans after Trump apparently lost that state by around 14,000 votes. That state has already been going through a bizarre sort of recount, sort of audit, sort of canvas for the past week at the order of the state's Republican secretary of state, who is being attacked by, yes, Donald Trump and Republicans. That insane story is next with someone who has been on the ground witnessing the madness in what the secretary of state there now admits was not actually a recount at all. It was a pretend recount or something. We will try to make sense of Georgia. Wish us luck next right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80 percent of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100 percent independent, 100 percent listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. If you are traveling back to Georgia, won't you take me with you there? Yes, please do take me. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Although my guest may want to get away from Georgia, I don't know. We'll find out. Let's start here. One week ago, on November 11th, the unofficial vote totals for the great state of Georgia revealed the Democratic candidate for the president of the United States had apparently won the state's popular vote for the first time in decades. With Joe Biden outpacing Donald Trump by about 14,000 votes out of some 5 million votes cast, resulting in a slim approximately 0.28 percent margin for Biden over Trump. 
Georgia's Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger facing pressure from Trump and calls for his resignation from the two Republican U.S. senators in the state, both of whom failed themselves to reach the 50 percent threshold needed on the November 3rd ballot to avoid a runoff election on January 5. The two GOP senators argued that Raffensperger had failed in his administration of the Peach, uh, Peach State's election and therefore should step down, though they offered no specific evidence to support that contention. Raffensperger dismissed the calls for to for him to step down and disputed the claims that there had been any failure or chicanery during the elections. Nonetheless, on November 11, seemingly bowing to pressure from his own party, Raffensperger made a bizarre and arguably startling announcement. The next step in the current election process is getting the final county certifications in. We'll then move to the risk-limiting audit or RLA. At 1 p.m. today, I will make the official designation of which race will be the subject of the RLA. At that time, I will designate that the RLA will be the presidential race. With the margin being so close, it will require a full by-hand recount in each county. This will help build confidence. It will be an audit, a recount, and a recanvas all at once. Sorry about the audio there. Apparently, Georgia's audio system is no better than their voting system. In any event, the announcement was bizarre on several levels, not the least of which is that, as we discussed on this program that same day with voting system expert Eddie Perez, you can't actually do a recount and a re-audit and a re-canvas all at once because they are all three very different procedures. Uh, with very different purposes. Georgia state law allows a candidate to petition the Secretary of State for a recount, but only after the state certifies uh, results, if the margin is less than one half of a percentage point, as it appears to be in Georgia's presidential race. But the state will not certify the results until Friday, November 20th after which a candidate could ask for a recount. Now, there is a pilot provision in uh, Georgia law for a so-called risk-limiting audit, or RLA, as you heard Raffensperger discussing there. That had been allowed for the Secretary of State in the Elections Code. Uh, before the election, Raffensperger had said he planned to carry out an RLA, which is a hand count of a small sampling of ballots to determine whether the computer optical scanners tallied votes correctly to a uh, 95 percent degree of scientific certainty. He was going to carry out an RLA for one race on the ballot of his choosing every two years. The size of the random sample chosen for an RLA hand count to confirm the results is based on how close the results are in that particular race. A larger margin means that fewer ballots need to be examined to be certain that the right candidate actually won. A tight margin means that more ballots, potentially all of the ballots in the race, need to be counted. Following the state's June primary, for example, Raffensperger chose a race for the state's first ever RLA that resulted in a hand count of just 27 ballots total. That's the entirety of the state's experience with post-election audits or RLAs 
at least until now. So it was quite a shocker when Raffensperger declared in what seems to me an attempt to try and kiss up to Donald Trump and other GOP critics to do what he called an audit, a recount and a recanvas all at once in the statewide presidential contest which was close enough to require a 100% hand count of all ballots for this RLA. There is no provision that allows the Secretary of State in Georgia to simply call for a recount on his own, as I understand it, barring actual evidence of fraud that could change the results of the race with the approval of a court order. But choosing the presidential race for his RLA allowed him to sort of skirt the law in a way to count all of the ballots and pretend that it was a ha uh, that it was a recount. A recount, in fact, has very different procedures that allows vote counts to be changed throughout the process uh, as they are counted. And uh, partisan observers are allowed to closely scrutinize ballots, though under Georgia state law, barring a court order, a recount is actually carried out by simply rescanning all of the ballots once again, rather than hand counting them publicly. Vote counts cannot actually be changed with a post-election audit, or RLA, under Georgia law. That exercise is simply to gain confidence that the winner actually won and the loser actually lost. It's not meant to confirm the precise vote counts in any race as the inventor of the RLA process, UC Berkeley's Professor Philip Stark has explained to me. And this week... After a full week of hand counting, the Secretary of State's office finally admitted as much. Nearly a full week after county election workers had been risking their lives amid a deadly pandemic in Raffensperger's so-called all-at-once audit recount recanvas, he admitted in a letter that was quietly sent from his office to county election officials. It reads in part, quote, Our office... After evaluating the audit uh, procedures, has concluded that the original results, the original results from the Dominion voting system that were tabulated on and after Election Day and certified by the county election superintendent should be the results that your county certifies as the November 3, 2020 general election totals. The risk-limiting audit was always designed, they write, to confirm the results of the election, and though this was the most in-depth audit possible, the results that were being confirmed were generated through and produced through the voting system and its election management system, and therefore should be the certified results. They note an exception, however, would be if the audit revealed that there were ballots that were either not counted or not uploaded to the final results, then those results should be amended to the election management system totals. The office writes, though the RLA might show slight changes in totals, those, ch uh, those changes are not the certified results. In fact, some ballots were discovered over the past week to have not been originally tallied in Georgia, and those will be added to the previous totals as certified by the counties. Yesterday on this program, we told you about some 2,600 previously unscanned ballots that were discovered in Republican-leaning Floyd County that resulted in a somewhat less than 800-vote net pickup for Donald Trump. 
And last night, after we got off air, another 2,700 votes were found to have not been included in Fayette County's election night upload of the results to the state. Both of the failures are attributed to human error. Those votes in Fayette County, in again, another Republican-leaning county, will increase Trump's totals by less than 500 votes, reducing Biden's margin overall over Trump to about 13,000 votes. But those were missing votes that should have and would have been discovered during a normal canvassing of the results, not during an audit, according to Marilyn Marks. She's the executive director of the Coalition for Good Governance and a frequent guest on this program. Her nonpartisan organization has been suing in federal court for several years now to prevent the use of Georgia's brand new 100 percent unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking device voting systems made by Dominion Voting that in-person voters in the state are forced to use this year for the first time. Maryland is quoted today in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution pointing out how the audit underway right now isn't actually a valid recount. She says it's a real shame that they put everyone through this made up all in one process that they knew from the beginning could never be an all in one process. She said this was a farce. The results of the audit, whatever they turn out to be, will be released after the uh, audit is completed by a Wednesday night midnight deadline imposed by Secretary Raffensperger. Whereas recount results, had it been an actual recount, would have been updated each day during the process for the public to follow along with any changes. Nonetheless, Raffensperger has said, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, that the manual count, whatever you want to call it, uh, through this uh, audit process has closely matched the original tallies so far, either exactly the same as the initial vote in many counties or off by one or single digits in other counties. Not that any of that would change either the official certified results or the fact that Joe Biden still appears to have won the state of Georgia. That announcement about the audit results uh, should come before Friday's state certification of the results, after which the Trump campaign then could request another count, this time an official recount that could actually change the results, though an official recount in Georgia by law would simply run the ballots through the same computer scanners that tallied them the first time instead of being carried out as a hand count. That unless a court orders otherwise. So it is believed unlikely that the numbers will actually change through that process either. All of that, while this questionable, some might charge meaningless, if very dangerous exercise has been going on amid a worsening deadly pandemic, as public observers, partisan and otherwise, have been trying to oversee the entire process, even if they are not able to inspect each and every ballot, as allowed by some actual recount processes. What a mess. But in Georgia, under Brad Raffensperger's pathetic administration, perhaps we should not be surprised. Joining us now to explain what's actually going on in Georgia today and what is not just a few hours ahead of the Wednesday midnight deadline for the all-in-one audit recount canvas 
uh, to end by seemingly random order of the Secretary of State is Jean Dufort. She's an election integrity advocate with the nonpartisan Coalition for Good Governance, and she is one of the named voter plaintiffs in several of their filings in Georgia over the past several years. Oh, Jean Dufort, welcome back to the broadcast. Hey, Brad. Thanks for having me. So that was a whole lot of information, I know, but I I believe it's necessary to sort of understand what is and isn't actually going on in this confusing and unprecedented Georgia process right now, where it feels somewhat like election integrity kabuki theater, at least (laughs) to me. Before It it was a great summary, Brad. We should make it mandatory listening (laughs) for all the national press that's swooping in and trying to figure out, you know, Georgia. It's a good 101. Well, thank you. I'm glad to know that because I wanted to ask you, you know, if I missed anything of note or got anything egregiously wrong there uh, as I tried to pull all that together. No, you know, minor, the, the, the Georgia law is a 90% confidence on an RLA, not, not a 95, mm-hmm. but, you, you know, that, that really doesn't, doesn't change it. Okay. Um, the, 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 big, the big thing is, is this theater. It's been very interesting. You know, coalition, and I'm speaking for myself, not mm-hmm. for the organization, that's kind of important because we have ongoing, you know, lawsuits happening, mm-hmm. but... Uh, We've been calling for this equipment to be banned in the same way our our lawsuit got the last Georgia system banned. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're not fans of this equipment, right. but it's really ironic to see the same legislators who forced this $100 million purchase mm-hmm. on the state to now be saying, hey, let's let's return it to vendor. Let's get rid of it. It's, it's a terrible system because it didn't, they didn't get enough for their money. They didn't get a president for their money, and, uh, you know, it's not clear they're going to get two senators for their money. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a funny time in Georgia. And I hadn't been aware. Are they actually now saying we need to get rid of this Dominion system? Because if so, you know, there's some runoffs coming up that I've been inviting Republicans to join me in uh, very, two very important uh, runoffs in the U.S. Senate in Georgia on January 5. I've been inviting Republicans to join me in getting rid of Dominion entirely and having all hand-marked, hand-counted, publicly hand-counted paper ballots. Sure. Uh, I I mean, I'd be a fan of that. I don't think anything will happen before... uh, Look, the election directors need no more new things between now and and January. Mm -hmm. So even I wouldn't particularly ask us to, to bring more change to them. But I, uh, watch, watch this space. Watch this, the legislative session that mm-hmm. starts in the spring. The, um, some of the same legislatures that are calling for Brad Raffensperger head right now are saying, we're going to put some serious uh, bills forward. And um, unless the mood changes a whole lot, I, I think there'll be a discussion about whether this is the right system for Georgia. And isn't that ironic? That is for ironic. For all the wrong reasons, yeah. of course. Well, I know. <laughs> you guys uh, have been uh, trying to get them to move and trying to get Raffensperger to move to an all-hand-marked paper ballot system, as have cybersecurity experts now, yeah. uh, for years. And here we are stuck with this uh, this system that now they're complaining about. Now, the Trump campaign, one of the things they've been complaining about, uh, not just in Georgia, but pretty much everywhere, Gene, is that they have been unable to properly observe various counting processes to date. Uh, What were observers allowed to oversee during this so-called audit process? And were observers from one party treated any differently than any other, as far as you could tell? So 
it's 159 counties, so there's 159 people interpreting what they've been told. Mm -hmm. So so remember that, always. There's always something crazy happening in some county or another (laughs) in Georgia. Um, But generally speaking, the Secretary of State gave counties originally instructions that the two major parties, the Democrats and Republicans, could officially appoint monitors. So behind the scenes, and I was a piece of this for one party, we're scrambling to find uh, people for 159 counties for however many days. We didn't know the hours. We didn't know the places. You know, it was a big scramble last Thursday Mm -hmm. uh, to put monitors in place. So if you had official designated party monitor status, two in most places, more in the supersized places, it Mm -hmm. was, you know, basically one per 10 counting groups. So counties had to be, and very few counties had more than than 20 counting groups. Mm-hmm. Um, you you could get behind the scenes. You could get right up to the tables where counting was happening. My concern was, and I and I, you know, I was an officially credentialed monitor. Um, I was given very good access to watch the actual counting process. I was not given access to watch what happened with the numbers once the counts were finished. And of course. You know, counting is a two-step process, right? It matters what you count, but it matters even more what you put into the Arlo system. Mm-hmm. So the, the, Arlo, the Arlo system, explain what the Arlo system is. Voting, uh, Secretary of State's hired Voting Works to help them with the RLA process. So they use the Arlo system, which is a product designed by Voting Works, to support risk-limiting audit uh, processes. So um, what happened in any given count place was you had these teams spread out doing all their counting in pairs uh, but when that was finished they filled out a sheet of paper and signed it and handed it to someone in the small counties like mine it was handed it to the election director who mm-hmm. then went to a table sat at a laptop and entered information into the into the computer no spreadsheet no scorecard no whiteboard that said this batch we mm. thought it was this, now here's where it came in. Any of the normal transparency things you'd expect to be mm-hmm. able to know as you went along, zero. And <laughs> in many counties, monitors were not even able to really look over the shoulder of the person even doing the input. Inputting was a single-person activity, not a two-person job for mm-hmm. checks and balances. So we feel like the numbers went into a black hole. Mm. And, and that is something that if this were uh, an actual recount... We would uh, sort of compare each day. They'd be releasing the numbers. We could compare the totals to what they originally were. We could see where there were changes. Here, we have heard next to nothing about what they're finding over the past week. So I guess one question is, uh, Gene, if if this is not meant, as you heard them, uh, the Secretary of State, in that letter, that it's not meant to change the results of the election, they still have to go with the original numbers they certified, what is the point of this so-called audit exercise? <laughs> I think that Secretary Raffensperger made a political calculation that he could appease the president's team and get them to back off a little bit if he, if he, if he brought this full hand count right into the front process. And that's where somebody got the brilliant idea that if you set the tolerance to zero on an RLA, you'd have to count everything. So that's the sort of mechanism to justify this full count. I think he thought that would appease them. But, you know, as soon as he announced it, within a day, they already wrote him a four-page letter saying it's not enough. We're not happy with this. Uh, so this is, this is, as a 
measure of appeasement, I don't think it's going to be deemed very successful. <laughs> right. You know, look, there are plenty of counties like mine. Like, I, I live in a rural area about an hour east of Atlanta, and in the five-county area surrounding a couple of beautiful lakes, I'm looking out at one of them now, mm-hmm. um, you know, we didn't even have 10 votes off collectively in those five counties. So you know, those voters in those five counties are getting a sense that that the counting came out accurate. Mm-hmm. You know, so so it's not meritless. Right. But it but but those also those same voters would not have decided to pay the bill for this if somebody had asked them, mm. should we do this? And especially because they may have to do it again. Exactly. If uh, once the, the state certifies and the Trump campaign yeah. says, okay, now we want our yeah. recount, and they'll yeah. do it all over again. I, I've, Super uh, expensive burden on taxpayers. Uh, DeKalb yep. County is the only one that's calculated as far as I know, but for that county it was a $180,000 exercise. Wow. So not insubstantial. No, and also dangerous because we're... In the middle of a pandemic. And these oh, are yeah. poll workers, heroic poll workers, I should say, who have been working, you know, long hours during early voting and then on election day. Then they have to go into this audit for the past yeah. week. Then they're going to have to go into a recount. But, and, and the army of people who, are, who have been monitored and watching observers, the observers. The yes. All of whom I regard as heroes, and they yep. are not being uh, thanked. Instead, they're being often attacked by the uh, by the Trump campaign and the Republicans. Uh, I'm old enough to remember when they used to uh, have concerns about that and said, oh, don't attack our poll workers. Now they seem to be doing it themselves. Yeah. Gene, I've long argued on this show that the ballots that are created by the computer touchscreens where the computer prints out a summary of the voters' uh, selections and then and then that summary is scanned, that that summary can't actually be known to reflect voter intent since there's no way to know if the voter actually reviewed that printout before they go on and cast that vote through a scanner. And studies, in fact, find the vast majority of voters do not check their printouts and that some 93% of voters do not notice when the computer has actually changed one of their votes. Now, uh, Dr. Philip Stark, uh, uh, who I mentioned uh, from UC Berkeley, he invented the risk-limiting audit. He told me that computer-marked ballots actually can't be RLA'd because of that, because it's impossible to ascertain the voter intent. Yet three-quarters of the ballots have been cast in Georgia on those computers. So... uh, can't yeah. be RLA'd is a, is a little bit of a strong statement, and, and, and I think Philip Stark is exactly on target. You can go through the exercise with them. Mm-hmm. You just can't get a meaningful result. Right, right. Yeah, you <laughs> can do it, but it, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. mean anything. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Uh, now, we did this exercise did put one of the issues people have with that Georgia ballot, it, it, because the BMD printed ballot summary has, has two fundamental problems. The one you talked about, which is the most fundamental, we can't ever know if it really reflects voter intent. All the literature calls it um, that, that it interprets what the voter did on the BMD and puts it down on a piece mm-hmm. of paper, right? So right. there you go. But in Georgia, the ballot also includes a barcode version of that ballot, and that's all that's counted in the scanning. Right. So the one thing that is put to rest with this hand count process is whether the printed, human-readable print is matching the barcode. So that's, you know, that's not nothing, 
but it doesn't change the underlying. Well, effect. actually, it's close to nothing, Gene. And here's why I would say that, because even if they do match up in this election, in yeah, yeah. it doesn't mean they matched up in all of the elections, uh, e- either on this ballot or in the future. 100% I understand. Yeah. I'm just saying, yeah. of all the noise, and part of this is noise. You'd call it election theater. A lot of this is about confidence in elections, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so no matter how much we explain about that, about Philip's point, and I totally am with him on that, a certain number of voters are very, very freaked out about the barcode, the whole QR code yeah. thing. So at least we put that to rest. Okay. I'm, I'm just saying, that's that's... It's a piece of the theater, yeah. but we put that to rest. Well, yeah, for now, anyway. Is is that something, uh, the fact that we can't know whether they're looking at the barcode or the human-readable text, and Raffensperger called it the English text, but is it something that any of these Republicans who are currently challenging this process have figured out that these printouts are not necessarily the voters' intent? No, that's why I say they're, they're calling for the system's demise for all the wrong reasons. The basis under you know of their concern is generally speaking not real. Mm-hmm. But if they're calling for the same thing I want, you know, I I, I, I can find an ally. Yeah, sure, right? of course. Especially if they have the votes. Yeah. Uh, no. Earlier this year, uh, you, Gene, uh, discovered as an observer of, of uh, contested ballots during a, a post-election canvas that the new computer optical scan systems that go with the touchscreens, as used in uh, in Georgia, that that the opt the scanners were actually missing a lot of perfectly valid votes that you could see with your eyes. We later learned that it was because the default setting on the scanners was not sensitive enough to notice check marks and X's that some people used instead of, you know, filling in the oval. Has that at least been corrected for this general election? So we changed the settings, but the underlying problem was not only the settings. The the underlying problem begins with the, the quality of the scan images is just very poor. And, and, you know, the, the simple answer is we all know on our, on our own printers we mm-hmm. have choices of color, grayscale, or black and white, and mm-hmm. black and white is the, you know, it turns every mark into literally either black or white. It mm-hmm. misses all shades of gray. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that removes a lot of the voters' marks when, it, when that happens. And so our printers are set to, our scanners are set to do that. Mm-hmm. So, so they miss the images on the screen that are judged by the software, don't get even to see quite a bit of the voters' actual mark. Right. So that's a problem, and, and, and you can't get around it. We, the Secretary of State, the State Election Board, changed the settings a bit. I can tell you as somebody who sat again on a vote review panel in, in November, um, we had uh, fewer votes to have to review. Mm-hmm. So I think the intended result, which was on the high end, more were just automatically going through and getting counted on votes. They only made a small tweak on the bottom end, which was where votes were being missed. Uh, When we see the final results, uh, most of us are predicting that there will be a net increase in just the raw number of votes cast, not not saying who they're cast for, but Mm -hmm. a raw number of votes cast likely on the... um, on those votes that were on handmarked paper ballots, the mail-in ballots, right? Uh, because um, people, people, people see them. Um, uh, as somebody who was, uh, you know, sat on a vote review panel uh, again here and, and was a monitor, um, we didn't have any confusion among our monitor tables when they looked at those ballots. Mm-hmm. They weren't kicking things out saying, "Let's have somebody look at this." So, you know, we 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 think that's that's going to be an interesting. 
that to watch for. Yeah, it will. That was my speculation as well, that those uh, when they rescan or even re-examine with humans the, the computer-printed uh, uh, ballots, those are pretty much going to give the same results they did the first time. But the hand-marked ballots... You might find votes that were missed by the scanners, and since the Democratic, since, since the handmarked ballots were were mail in, those were disproportionately Democratic. I think if they pick up votes from that bucket of votes, those are probably going to end up helping Joe Biden. Is that a fair assessment? They, 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 well, in my highly Republican county, we're mm-hmm. a seventy thirty county, and um, Biden got more votes in the in the mail absentee than than President Trump did in raw terms. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's true around the state. Although, don't even have confidence that the scanners will give you the same result twice. <laughs> yes. I, I testified in the last hearing before Judge Totenberg about an experiment I did, and putting ballots through those scanners, uh, you know, five times in a row the same way did not give the same result oh. all five times. So um, we know that these poor image capture causes definitely some confusion in the software's interpretation and that is my concern and that's why i've you know been calling for you know what you got two races two u.s senate races for all the marbles in the u.s senate control of the senate itself will be determined you've only got two races with two candidates in it in each, it would be very easy to not only hand mark those ballots, but also hand count those publicly, just separate them into two stacks, easy counting, no questions about the results. We don't have to go through these continuous exercises. Gene, before I let you go, amid all of this, uh, I know there's also a runoff to fill the uh, U.S. House seat left vacant by the late John Lewis, I think on December 5. And then, of course, the huge statewide runoffs on uh, January 5 for those two U.S. Senate seats. Is the state ready for both of those elections amid all of this other madness that is continuing there? Well, and think about one more thing, right? Suppose we certify on time on Friday. Mm -hmm. Two business days, the campaign, the losing campaign, let's presume it's President Trump, based on what we know now, has to request another count, a true recount. Mm-hmm. So right. that'll be Tuesday right. of Thanksgiving week. Right. Right before <laughs> the December 1st election in a few places, not in a lot of places. Uh-huh. The, 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 it, it's a real contest, but, it, but the contest for John Lewis's seat is only to fill the remaining 2020 term. So mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, it's real to the people running for it, but sure. it's, it's not going to have a big impact. Nakima Williams has already won that seat in the general election to mm-hmm. serve beyond 2020. But up in Athens, just north of where I live, there's a very important district attorney special election for a contest that Governor Kemp tried really, really hard not to let the people vote and stuff an appointed person into. Mm. So they went all the way to the Georgia Supreme Court to get that election, that right to have an election for the people mm-hmm. um, held, and that's going to happen on December 1st. So, you know, again, if, if the counties running that election are also having to fit another hand count yeah. in the middle of this, just the timetable gets super compressed and very difficult. And the uh, the early voting begins then in the U.S. Senate races on December 14th. December 14th, that's so, right, and uh, ballots are starting to go out ballots, um, very shortly yeah, for I've, that election. 
A lot of things converging in Georgia. We are going to be super busy. Yeah, you are, and I suspect we're going to be uh, super in touch with you, Gene, because of it. I, I mean, I'm, that's what I'm worried about. No matter how important the elections are, they just actually have to happen, and I don't even know if they can happen amid all of this. I am. Uh, I, I, I rest at least a little bit easier, Gene, knowing that you are down there, that Marilyn and others are, are doing your best to try to oversee uh, all of this madness. Jean Dufort, you can find her on the Twitters at Dufort underscore Jean. And, of course, you can find the Coalition for Good Governance at coalitionforgoodgovernance.org. And they are on the Twitters at Coalition Good GV. Gene, always great uh, talking to you. Thank you for everything you are doing down there, and I suspect we'll uh, be speaking soon. Hey, you're a really important voice for, uh, you know, a fairer America, and that's all we all want, right? You're very kind. Yes, we do. Thank you, Gene. Thank you, sir. All righty. All right, we're back with the very few seconds we have left <laughs> on the broadcast. Take a quick break. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the broadcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Okay, Jez, I've got only time for a very partial uh, listener mail here. Okay. Michael L. writes to Bradcast at bradblog.com with a very good point. Subject line, Trump's coup. He says, uh, to me, it seems that Trump does not care about reaching 270 electoral votes. He wants to lower Biden below 270 electoral votes by getting states not to certify the elections in a timely manner, with no one receiving a majority of the electoral votes, then the choice of president goes to the House of Representatives, where the states of Wyoming, North Dakota, and South Dakota have three votes each for president, and the states of California, New York, and Illinois also have three votes each for president. He says the Republicans control the delegations of more states. While they have fewer members of Congress, it seems our so-called founding fathers were really mother-effing <laughs> founding fathers. Thank you, Mike L. I think you may be right in that assessment. We'll see if Donald Trump is successful. He ain't going to get 270, but if he can uh, knock off a few votes from Joe Biden, then everything goes to the House and everything is up for grabs. But that's not going to happen, right, Des? That's right. It might happen. We'll see. <laughs> if it does, we'll cover it right here on uh, our uh, next thrilling broadcast, No Doubt. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest, Gene Dufort of the Coalition for Good Governance, Org, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's 
panicked program. Feel free to download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That made possible by those of you kind enough to stop by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. We'll see you there until we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.